G'day guys, welcome to episode 174 of Talking With TK. I'm your host Tristan Cannell, hope you're all staying nice and safe out there and you know enjoying the extra content. Yeah, do, definitely do get in touch because I'm not sure whether in the next few weeks I'll be changing it back up to, to every seven days or keep it at five days. So if you can get in touch, send me an email at Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com or hit me up on cross all the different social medias, Facebook, Twitter, I'm at TalkingWithTK, Tristan Nell at Instagram, love to hear your feedback on what you kind of want me to do moving forward, because I do have lots of episodes to release. So for the time being, I'll keep it at five, but let me know if you want me to jag it back to seven with all the NRL and some of the other sports starting over the next few weeks. So today's show, episode 174, it's with one of the manly legends in Daniel Gartner. For me, he's, he's probably one of the un- most underrated players that's ever played in the NRL. still remember 1996 when I went to the, the prelim semifinal between the Sharkies and Manly and... He probably didn't get the raps that he deserved that day. He absolutely carved us up. Left me crying. So he's always been in the back of my mind, someone that I always wanted to kind of interview. While he didn't play State of Origin, he played for Australia and also, you know, pretty much, you know, part of that that cog that really did dominate with Manly in the 90s. So really, really excited to get him on the show. Just a big shout out to everyone that uh, has been leaving reviews, whether that's on Apple Podcasts, the Facebook page, or Spotify, if you can. Please leave me a review. It really helps me to continue to grow the show. and really appreciate everyone that's been tagging me in any posts that uh, they've been sharing the show across all the different social media. So really, really appreciate that. My book, Talking With Champions, that's out now. So 75 of my best interviews, not only from Talking With TK, but across all my different, my well, pretty much my podcast career, if you could say that. Some some great interviews with the likes of George Foreman, Layla Ali, Mario Andretti. There's also one with Diamond Dallas Page. There's, there's about 10 Americans that I haven't put on Talking With TK. So... If you're interested in checking that out, Jonathan Thurston's in there as well. You can find comic copies at Dimix, Booktopia, or Angus and Robinson, and that's pretty much all online now. I think Dimix, I'm not sure if they're still still open, but if you can, go into a bookstore. Dimix is the one which it will be at, or Dimix, Booktopia, Angus and Robinson, all online, perfect for a gift or a little bit of motivation, inspiration during this little isolation period. All right, guys, excited for today's episode, and I introduce... Daniel Gartner. All right, guys, my special guest today is Daniel Gartner. Daniel is a legend of rugby league, playing 130 first-grade games for Manly and the Northern Eagles. He played in three grand finals with the Premiership in 1996. He moved to the Bradford Bulls in the English Super League. He played 84 first-grade games over there, two Premierships and one Challenge Cup win over three seasons. His rep career includes one test for Australia and also one game for New South Wales City. I'm pleased to welcome to the podcast, Dan Gartner. Dan, welcome to the potty, mate. Thanks, Tristan. Good to be here. Yeah, mate. Absolute pleasure to have you on, mate. First things first, I love a, a backstory. And, you know, obviously your dad used to play for the Doggies. That was a few years actually before you were born. And then obviously your cousin, very famous cousin Russell, was also in the mix as well for Manly Australia and New South Wales. But I'd love to know a little bit more about your family background. Tell me exactly what Dad told me told you about his footy career. Uh, you're right. It was a little bit before. Um, I didn't see too much of it. I've seen the only thing he keeps showing me is the the intercept that Bob McCarthy scored in the in the final to knock them out. Uh, <laughs> his house might have then gone on to win the comp. I'm not 100 percent sure, but. That's that's virtually the only footage I've seen him playing. Yeah, does he? Um, did he rate himself? Uh, he didn't really talk too much about it. Okay. Uh, he's very. He coached as well, so he coached the under twenty threes at Canterbury for a while. Yep. So he spent a, a lot of time around the scene. Um, very, very forward in coming, you know, with advice. Mm. Um, but you know, towards. My early part of the career, he would be involved a fair bit, but then kind of left, left me to my own devices, I guess. Okay. Where did you go? Because I know you went to Narrabeen Sports, but in the early stages of your life, were you always out in the Northern Beaches? No. No, we lived... Um, Mum and Dad lived at Belmore. They had a news agency in Belmore for a did while. They? Yeah. Okay. And then um, I think it was probably when we were about... I think I was only just born... Uh, and then they moved to Padstow Heights. So we okay. lived there for about six years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Dad's dad had moved out to Warrywood. And they said, you know, there's a plot of land going. Um, I'll go and take the sign down if you want to 
<laughs> come and have a look at it. Yeah. So, um, so they made an offer on the land and, and um, moved out here. Moved okay. to Warwood, yeah. What age were you when you, you picked up the footy for the first time? Uh, probably five years old. I mean, we used to go to all the Canterbury games as kids anyway, yeah, two okay. brothers. Um, so we would always play on the field you know, prior to that. And so we're always involved and watching. But, um, yeah, I think Narrabeen Sharks under sixes maybe. Okay. Were you a Doggies fan growing up? We were, yeah. Yeah, Canterbury was the team to start with. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, gradually, obviously, if you're living in the area, you start to follow your local team and then obviously playing. So mum and dad are, you know, firmly entrenched Manly fans now. Yep. Well, obviously, that, that, would have taken, yeah, that would have taken your dad a, a little while to try and switch. That 95 grand final would have been interesting. Yeah, well, look, he's got a lot of friends still around the Canterbury area, so he likes the um, he, he likes them now. that They had a few um, things. He used to be a director for a while. Uh, and it got got a bit much for him. He kind of dropped out. There was a few things that went on with uh, you know that that first incident they had up in Coffs Harbour, which yeah, um, he kind of didn't like the way it was handled, I guess, and, and moved on from that. But uh, he, he's back now and he's supporting them again. Yeah, fair call. Now, what about your cousin Russell? Like, what do you remember of his career? I saw a little bit more of him. Um, he probably more when he went to Balmain. Okay, at the back end. Yeah, um, I saw a little bit of him when he played at Manly, but um, more, you know, back then you, you'd get your one one game a week, didn't you? You got your Sunday afternoon footy, so, yeah, you know, you're not watching all all the games, so we didn't see too much of him. Um, but then as he played for Balmain and it got a little bit more, you know, I probably took more notice of it there. I think he was at East as well, actually. Yeah, in the middle. Was there a bit of an aura around him, like family barbecues and all that sort of thing? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Um, yeah, he's a pretty relaxed guy though. Yeah. He's not, he's not, certainly not difficult to get on with. Um, no, I mean, cool to have someone like that to kick the ball around with though. Yeah. I, I mean, he, I think they lived, I think they lived up on the central coast for a while. Um, okay. he, they were up in Illinois for a while. Um, so they've been all around. I think he went to Queensland for a while, had a sports store up in Queensland and he's come back. I'm pretty sure he's still living around here. Okay, nice. Now, tell me a little bit about, you know, obviously you, you told me about Narrabeen Sharks and pick up the you know ball around six years of age. What age did you kind of start making an impact on the field? Um, I don't know. I left. I actually stopped playing at 15. I just had, I had probably seven or eight years where, you know, I was training and playing and mm. I just wanted a change of kind of environment and, and I was – you know, going okay at school and I wanted to go surfing with my mates and um, so I stopped playing for a few years and then actually Josh Stewart dragged me back at about 18. Um, we used to play together at Narrabeen. It's the big front rower. Is that, is that the one? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For North Sydney? Yeah. yeah. And he said, oh, look, we're going to go down to Christian Brothers. And I said, oh, you know, I'm not really interested. And then another mate of mine, um, he used to play as well at Narrabeen and he said, come on, we'll all go down. Yeah. And so we went down there and... Um, that was it virtually. We played a year there and then back in the old days you had to try out. So we yep. tried out for you know, Jersey Flegg and mm-hmm. got picked in the in the Flegg side. So what was Flegg back then? Was that 18s or 19s? 19s. 19s, yeah. And did you say that was for Manly? Yeah. Okay, so it was you, Josh Stewart. Did the other boys come? Did Kosef and Menzies and all them come through at the same time? Yeah, Beaver Beaver came through a year under us. He's a year, year under. Yep. Um, Nick... Nick, I think, played maybe 15s at, or 16s maybe at um, Christian Brothers, and then he came through. Okay. Uh, he's two years, I think, under us. Um, but Hopper was there. Um, I mean, we had quite a lot, lot of local juniors at that, that point. Yeah, what was Hopper like as a, as a youngster? Oh, just the same as he is now. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit loose, but... You know, strong as an ox, naturally strong, just unbelievably and fast and um, and knew a fair bit about it, so it was dynamic. Yeah, back in those days, but Dan, you were a centre, right? Uh, I started as a fullback. Fullback? Yeah, but I was never fast enough. I, mean, I knew I was never fast enough. I was you know, tall enough and could that under-18s or 19s level and they virtually, after a year, of, I played two years at 21s at fullback. Really? Uh, a poor then, type, or uh, no, I don't know what you'd call it. Actually, um, 
I managed to tackle all right. I could catch a ball and I could run and step and, you know, so it was it was okay. But I think that writing was on the wall fairly early that I was never going to be fullback full time. Yep. Um, so they just told me to put on some weight and move to the second row. Okay. So like giving away the game for a couple of years. So, you know, after you, your dad played first grade, your cousin played first grade. So you had zero desire to ever really be a footy player. Uh, I wouldn't say zero desire, but just I don't know what happens. I think you get a little bit too much of it all and, and Dad was fairly keen at the time and, and yeah. I was kind of thinking, well, you know, I don't really want to have someone telling me what I did wrong and what, it, you know, just a normal 15-year-old kid and yeah, yeah. wanted to do something else for a while and and then, um, yeah, I, I guess I wasn't thinking about it. Um, but when when the guys came knocking and, t- and asked me whether I wanted to do it, it was kind of like, well, yeah, you know, probably a good time to pick it up again. Yeah, cool. So what were you doing for work once you, once you left school? Uh, I, I went to uni and I did accounting for three years. Accounting? Yeah. So you're as a physio now, mate. Yeah, yeah. So I worked, uh, worked at the lease club because they, you know, they actually had a job going, which was an accounts role. Okay, and and I found it fairly easy. So they they would you know, give me time off if I as long as I had the work done. Um, they said you know take take what time you need for the footy, um, and in the end the footy got too much and I couldn't keep it up, so I had to quit. Mm. Um, but that was I, I probably went for two or three, maybe four years working, not as an accountant, but in accounts. In accounts. Um, and, Were you playing first grade at the same time, or was this just the yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, um, first grade for about three years when I was still working. Well, did everyone just want to chew the ear off you come on Monday? Uh, yeah, no. Like a, I, I worked in a in a room with um, three other women, so they kind okay, of, so they didn't care. No, not really. Uh, the, boss, <laughs> the boss was you know a little bit interested, but he he um, he had his own stuff to do, so it was all okay. Okay, so then in the twenties, you still because you make your first grade debut like off the bench against Pranola in 92. But yeah. back in those days, did you play like the 21s, the President's Cup, and then have to back up for reserve grade and then back up again for first grade? Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was that was what happened. Occasionally you would get the three games, um, but but not that often. I, I can't remember actually doing the three games. I, I did. I always sat on the bench for reserves and I got a few reserve grade games at the time. Yeah. Um, and then I was on the bench. I was playing reserve grade, you know, I think in 93, but I, I tore my groin badly and had to have surgery and that put me out for that year essentially. Okay. What about um, when you were playing President's Cup, did you guys make any of the semis or the grand finals or anything like that? Uh, no. No. I, I don't, our President's Cup team wasn't – it was okay, but I, I don't think we ever made the semis. Okay. Um, they push people into reserve grade, like the ones that they identified as the really talented ones? Yeah, I, I think Manly's always done that fairly early. And I look at the, the teams now and, you know, our 20s team has got a lot of 18-year-olds and um, you know, they're not necessarily setting the world on fire, but they're getting pretty good experience. And, um, you know, by the second year of that, hopefully, you know, these teams will, will start kicking in. But I, I think, you know, they test them fairly early at Manly. Yeah. How did you feel about when you first tasted a little bit of Reggie's like against the men? How did you go that, that way? Uh, it, it, Reggie's was okay. You know, there was the odd big guy, you know, the guy that you've you know, been warned about, you know, don't run straight into this bloke because <laughs> he'll you know, iron you out a bit. But, um, yeah, I don't think it was a massive jump because the fitness levels, as long as your fitness levels are okay, then you, know, you, could, you could avoid kind of the carnage. But, you know, the first grade – the impact and the fitness is such a big difference that uh, yep. you, know, you can't avoid it. But, now, back in those days with obviously Graham Lowe as your coach and, you know, you still had a bit of an aura around a lot of the players that were at Manly. What was the culture like in those early 90s? I think it was driven a lot by the senior players. Um, Graham Lowe was, he was there obviously. He was, he was more of a, articulate kind of guy, I guess, and and mm. talk to you on a level which was, you know, more thinking rather than just screaming or yelling. Uh, and, and the senior players were the ones that tended to do more of that. And, and so it was, was really run by the senior players, I guess, but you know, obviously the game plans and everything was run by Graham. But, 
Um, but he he had a pretty good style of respecting you know, what was there and just mm-hmm. working with that. So you know, you, you think along the lines of origin coaches and, and test coaches and things like that. That's the kind of probably the kind of impact that I got from him. And, and Bozo wasn't much different. He was a, probably a little bit more direct yeah. um, and a little bit more, yeah, I've done something wrong, I know what's coming, um, rather than, you know, the, the kind of the articulate side of Graham. Who had a better blow up in them? Out of the uh, Bozo, yeah, yeah. yeah, Bozo. Does one just like really just resonate with you still? Uh, not too bad. I, I, look, I'm sure there was plenty there, but I can't remember. The, the, the thing that Bozo used to do is he, he would, you'd be in the video session yeah. and you knew virtually what, when it was coming and he would never miss it. So he, he would just stop the tape and he wouldn't say anything and he'd just turn around and, and you'd, you'd know and you'd look up at him and then it'd just be, what the F are you doing there? <laughs> You know, and some guys, some guys would say, "Yeah, you know, I, I stuffed up. I wouldn't do that." But then other guys would say, "Oh, you know, well, he did this and this, and the ball was there. I wasn't sure." And they would just talk themselves into a mess. And you know, and, the, and in the end, guys would be laughing, just go, "Just shut your mouth, mate." Guys, so, I just want you to own it. Is that the? He just wanted you to own it, and, yeah. and I think you know, it was in its own way a pretty good style of doing things as well. Okay, so you had the VHS tape going. You're all probably crammed in this little room, all your 100-kilogram men. Yep, that was it. Jesus um, Christ. And, and it was, you know, it was just the stop of the tape and you, and you knew exactly when it was coming. <laughs> you, you just didn't miss anything. Is that what really made him, his, like, eye to detail? Is that kind of his... Yeah, assessment? I think so. Um, he, he was pretty good in terms of knowing people as well. And people that had to be pushed a little bit, and you know, I include myself in that a bit. Mm. Um, but he could also, you know, he could also be pretty harsh, um, you know, and, and dress you down if you needed to be dressed down. Okay. Um, I think a lot of people were probably intimidated by him. Mm. And as a young person, if you come into that that scene and you're intimidated, then that's a little bit harder. If you're an older player, I think it's probably a bit easier to tolerate. Yeah. Um, and when you when you came onto the scene, was there a, a senior player at all that took you under the wing? Uh, I don't know. I don't know that they kind of take you under the wing. I think they're always, all of them were, were kind of giving advice. I mean, Spud Carroll was good. He was good for Manly in the way that he trained. Um you know, there's probably not too many harder trainers or Des. Um, <laughs> but Spud, Spud worked really hard. You know, he, he's, he's probably not the most skillful or gifted person, but, you know, he worked his butt off. And I think that was almost like a, hey, look what I'm doing, follow me, rather than, you know, I don't have to yell on your back or, you know, come and do this or come and do this. or You know, I think I had a fairly good idea of, of patterns and defence, and I could read the game fairly well, so I didn't yep. necessarily, you know, feel like I had to ask them too many things. Um, but just seeing that that toughness of, of Spud, you know, and and that that was probably the the most remarkable. Ian Roberts was the same, yeah. Um, you know, just led by example, and you know, his knees were terrible in the end there, but he just you know trained hard, worked hard honest you know, and that that culture was something i think that just came from a lot of those senior players with kind of bozo waving his magic wand over it yeah dan just sticking on spud for a sec when you saw him and chief just missiling at each other every single time you guys played what was going through the thoughts of you boys on the field i don't know like i mean chief chief he i think he hit me a few times in the grand final hmm. and there's different things, you know. I'd probably rather cop a, a, a high tackle that's going to hit me in the top of the head rather than cop, you know, a good shoulder underneath the ribs. Yeah. So you kind of just put up with it a little bit. Um, you know, I don't think there was any intention of any hurting anyone, but they, you know, those guys went into almost a bubble when they played each other. Uh, they, they just went a little bit haywire and a bit nuts, which was – it's. You know, it's almost good to watch, you know, yeah. even being on the field. 
Do you remember that one at that marathon when Spud got knocked out? Yeah. Like, well, were actually, guys, were you guys concerned for him? Uh, Spud, Spud didn't get knocked out. It was actually was it Chief. Uh, Chief. Chief got oh, knocked sorry, out. Sorry, I'm it mixed around. Yep. Yeah. Um, well, I was on the bench at that stage. I I think I'd come off um, earlier in the game, and I was sitting on the bench, and I saw the hit, and and I saw kind of fly, and then. They all rushed over, so you know I couldn't necessarily see it, but um, it was pretty. Uh, it was pretty brutal. And he just, you know, Chief just mistimed it, um, got his head in the wrong spot, and crash. <laughs> it's beautiful to see him as best friends now, bud. Yeah, look, I think most footy guys that you talk to, you know, you might have drums with them on the field, but as soon as they come off the field. Yeah, they've all kind of been through the same thing together. They all appreciate how difficult the game is, and you know, unless they've done something pretty you know, personal or, or, or crappy, then mm. you you kind of get on with them fairly well. I guess it kind of shows their winner's mentality during their career, right? And then once it's all over and said and done, you just really respect that that main opponent because I think everyone needs a rival. Like in boxing, everyone needs a rival, and I think for those two, they were just main rivals, weren't they? Well, they were. Um, yeah, you know, Spud Lazarus, I think, was with Spud as well. You know, and, and and Spud was that he played obviously Origin a few times, but Lazarus and and Chief were the other his main competitors in that arena. So he was obviously up against them quite a lot. So you know, he probably pushed as hard with Lazarus as you don't kind of see on the outer persona of it as as he did with Chief. Yeah, did Spud um, talk it up on the field? Uh, I don't know how what what do you mean talk it up? Like, like you, was he looking for it? Like, did he like kind of urge him on and like bring it on, sort of thing, and all sorts of stuff? A little bit of talk, uh, yeah. not not massive amounts of talk. Just um, you know, tried to let his his actions do his talking more than anything. Um, but he 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 really put in Spud. You know, he's. As I say, like he had a few injuries. Had a you know, his big toe was absolutely stuffed. His foot was yeah. not much better, and uh, his hands and his elbows—he couldn't straighten his elbows. And, but you know, he worked his worked his backside off. Yeah. Now, Dan, you mentioned before, you know, your injury that pretty much ruled you out of '93. You know, you come back in '94 to try and get your place back. Whose idea was it to switch you from the backs to the forwards? Um, I think. I think it was Graham Lowe the year before, actually. I think in 92, he he said, we want you to put on some weight and then you know, look at playing in the forwards. And, okay. and I think I just put it on too quickly. Um, I did it in a way, you know, ate a bit too much and did a few too many weights and um, and my body probably wasn't ready for it. And that's, that's how I ended up tearing the groin. Um, but then from then on, that, that year after, it was, it was always... No, you're going to be in the forwards. Like you're not going to be heading back to the backs anytime soon. Yeah, how'd you um, take the? How'd you take that when someone told you you won't be? Playing? Well, I didn't mind it. You know, I didn't mind it. I, in some ways, you know, playing fullback, you kind of exposed at the back, and the ball swirling around. Yeah, I kind of find you know, the forwards. I found a little bit easier. Um, okay. Yeah, guys are running into, and you're running into guys. But you know, I could step. Um, I didn't want to necessarily run into people I could avoid. Um, so I, I, I didn't necessarily see that as a drawback. I actually probably preferred to be there. Yeah. Um, I played a little bit of centre in and out of that period as well. So, you know, I wasn't completely out of there. But, but by the time I was regular first grade, I was in the forwards and that was, yeah. that was it. Did you guys do a lot of, I know like in today's, Footy, they do a lot of opposed sessions and things like that. Did you guys do much of that? Uh, none, no, none really. Uh, maybe we might get the second grade side on a Saturday morning and do a little bit, but mm. but that would be very limited. It was very much the training back then was completely different. We had when I first started, we had one of those you know, central weight machines <laughs> in a room and, you know, the four stations. Uh, so you, you sit down, I think you've got your leg press, your bench press, your shoulder press and, and one other one, I can't remember what it was. It was like a leg curl, leg extension machine and that was it. Yeah. That's all you had. And our, our training was tackle bags up and down, up and down, up and down, sprints, phosphate tests. Yeah, road uh, runs. 
We actually didn't do too many road runs. They, they had one, they had a road run around um, Narrabeen where you go up and they used, all the schools have used it for cross country for years. Yep. And, and that we would use that if we were, you know, if, if the, the ground was a bit soggy or something or, or we'd had a bad game and, and we were getting punished and, you know, they'd send us up and you know, three times up over the thing and the old blokes were just blowing up and <laughs> young guys could do it because, you know, there was a, some pretty nasty hills in it but if you're light yeah. enough and quick enough, then it's pretty easy. Did that Sand Hill Warrior guy ever train you down? Uh, we did, yeah. We did a few sessions at um, Palm Beach. Yep. Uh, we used to do one every year actually at Palm Beach, which was pretty pretty bad. You know, guys would be on their back and throwing up and, yeah, it's, it's, that was very physical. But I used to do a little bit outside it as well. I used to run with a guy called Reg Austin okay. who was a seniors champion, you know, Australian champion or something. Um, and at 50, he was over 55s and he was just a phenomenal sprinter. So I used to run 300s and 400 sprints um, and I think that helped me a lot as well. Especially back in those days, playing eighty minutes, right? Yeah, and and we we trained Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday morning, and we played most of the time Sunday. And then you know there was one game on the Saturday, which was the ABC game, and then yeah. you had the, you know, the rest the on the Sunday on the Sunday. So the rest of them be Sunday, and so we were pretty much in that routine the whole time. So Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday morning. Yep. Did you guys go to the pub after the training on Tuesday, Thursday? Uh, no, but we had beers inside the change room after a Thursday and that was, <laughs> that was something which, uh, you know, no, any, anyone only really had one or two. So you had to have one beer So you sit yeah. down there and have one beer. And I think that was, reserve grade was pretty fond of that. Um, I think the first grade kind of tapered out of that towards the end of it, but then it started going, you know, more professional, more days. Um, and of course that stuff then got knocked on the head. Yeah, for sure. Well, 95, you obviously have a pretty good year because you're in the, the team for the grand final. Leading up to the grand final, you know, because you were a Canterbury supporter and obviously your dad played for the Doggies as well, how was your feelings playing against Canterbury in your first grand final? I, I don't think it was any different, really. It was, you know, it's an opponent, it's a grand final and you know, you're obviously out there to win. I mean, they had a terrific team back mm. then, um, you know, and Kerry Lamb, I think, was in that game. Yep. And he was one of those guys that was like a bit of a hero to me when I was growing up. Um, and I guess that that probably playing against him maybe more so than the other guys was was what I thought about. But, yep. you know, in the end, it's, it's one of those things. And, you know, I guess, you know, dri- driven as well to win, um, you know, fear of losing probably more than, than feeling needing to win. Um, that probably drives as many people and you don't really think about who the opposition is. Mm. Mate, those little blokes, you know, like Terry Lamb, are they the hard ones to really tackle on the field? It depends. It depends. You know, some of the guys that are good on their feet, if you give them a bit of space, then, yeah, they're harder. Yeah. You know, they're, they're the steppers, you know, Fitler was a great stepper. Um who was the other guy, the fullback for, I think he played in the grand final. He was a good step. Oh, Rod Silver. Rod Silver, yeah. You know, these these are the guys that, you know, can make you look silly if you, you know, overestimate what they're going to do or yeah. underestimate what they're going to do. For you guys that played, you know, early on with still the five tackle rule, what was the effect of it going to 10? Uh, the five metre rule? Yeah. I, I don't think... I think I was five metres. Okay. I think it just 10. changed over. Yeah, I think it had just changed over for 10. So I never really got to experience that five. Mm. You know? <laughs> but um, I remember five metres when I was a kid. Yep. You know? But, you know, as a kid, you adapt fairly quickly. So it was never really an issue. And I was always fairly fit. So it, it didn't necessarily become too much of an issue. Do you think it makes much of a, a difference, especially now managing injuries? Like if they were to move back five to five metres, do you think it would have an impact on lessering the injuries that we're seeing today? Um, no. No, I don't, I don't think so. Oh. Uh, you know, can you build up more speed? Yeah, probably. But, you know, a lot of the injuries that you see today are, are still 
you know, if you look at a dislocated shoulder, it's generally the way they land. Uh, yeah. If you look at an ACL, 75, 80% of ACLs are non-contact. Um, so may, maybe, I don't know, maybe a little bit in terms of concussion, but um, but I don't think for other injuries, it's probably not going to make a huge amount of difference. Yeah, just looking back on like some of your major injuries and the way that you were treated, you know, kind of back the technology they had in the 80s and 90s, if you were to treat yourself now, would it be the would it be same, or would it kind of have a lot of changes? Oh, I think it'd be a lot different. Um, I, I did a couple of you know pretty nasty ones. I, I did a PCL, which was virtually all the way through. Um, yep. They didn't they didn't do surgery on those back then anyway, and, and they don't necessarily do them always now. Um, I tore my groin obviously and had surgery, so that that was fine. I, I snapped my pectoral muscle. That was probably Ooh. the the thing that I probably wish I had got done, mm. um, I didn't need it done. And the advice at the time, you know, was you don't need it done. And it, they were right. Um, but at this point in time, you know, later on down down life, I, I don't have that pectoral muscle still and I've got you know, biceps issues and labral issues. And so I probably wished I'd gone at the end of that year and, and fixed it up. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you can't be too upset by the whole process. I've... I'm okay. My knee's not terrific. My back's not terrific. Um, more so if I was a physio earlier on, I probably would have changed a few things. Um, I would have had more knowledge on how to treat them and, and what things to do. Sure. You know, I had a bad disc bulge for, well, I had it at 19, um, and I just automatically thought that you just go a sore back. Yeah. Um, but my you know, my back has never never been great. Now it's it's not good. Um, you know I can't lie on my back because it's too painful. Yeah. What uh, is that with hip replacements and footy plays? What does that happen? Uh, I think a little bit to do with the impact, um, just the running, the load, the heaviness of the player. Mm. Uh, probably also back in in those times when it, you know when people are getting hip, hip replacements now they're all these kind of 70s and 80s and 90s players and you know maybe there wasn't the focus on strengthening of the hip yeah okay. you know, maybe it was just go and do your squats you know load your squats up big heavy squats to down deep and you know you're damaging uh, labrum you're damaging cartilage you're damaging other things without necessarily knowing it so, you know, and and maybe to some extent, guys that come away from footy, they end up, you know, they don't want to jump straight back into a routine of staying fit or losing weight, and you know, and they probably put on a little bit of weight and they get heavy and they lose a little bit of strength, and you know, and that slight bit of damage is multiplied by the time you get to that that kind of 50, 60 year age. Yeah. Now, um, losing that ninety five grand final, Dan, like at the time you're still a young bloke, was that kind of the end of the world for Dan Gardner then? Uh, not really. Like, I obviously was disappointed. Mm. I kind of knew what I did and if, if I felt that I contributed and did my role, it was less of an impact. You know, if I, for some reason, didn't play well yeah. and, you know, and let down the team, that would be a whole lot different for me and that would be a whole lot of a, a worse situation rather than, you know, if you give everything and, and you lose, then you lose, you know, and, and you move on. Yeah. But. Dan, just about, you know, around that 95, obviously with Super League coming in versus ARL, it became a little bit more professional. So we started seeing the shape of kind of rugby league changing a little bit. Like, for example, you guys were pretty good at it, especially in 96 when you had kind of Bieber on, Bieber on the left, you know, two edge players, and then obviously Nick, who could be a distributor, like a ball player as well. So that, that was kind of new to kind of what everyone else was doing. Like, do you remember the time when you guys started to create that shape? Um, back then, uh, Bozo had a, a ball. So we weren't kind of left or right second rowers. Mm. We were ball and open. So the diff- two different styles. Like Beaver was the, the open side second rower. So he would be like the defender that would be around the backs. Yep. Whereas I would be the defender that would be around the forwards, mm. and he would uh, he would also be more in the attacking plays in rather than kind of the hit ups up up the middle. Um, 
and you know use his strength so his speed was just phenomenal he was he was a lot faster than a lot of centers so he he he'd be probably up second third fastest in, in our team regardless of what, what position um so you know they used him well in that position whereas i you know i could step and whatever and, and pass and but I, would, I just didn't have that speed yeah um, which kind of put me in the middle in a diff, different role so we would swap so we wouldn't necessarily be left or right um and we didn't even go left and right we went left and right when bozo left and and peter sharp came in yeah so he he'd seen that with I don't know if he was, I don't think he was at Melbourne then. He was with somebody, maybe Parramatta, and I think that was a Brian Smith thing. Um, so when he came in, then we were playing left and right. Did um, you did you like that? Because it looks like even now in today's game, it just looks like players are pigeonholed to like a line. Like literally they're running up and down one line for an entire game. Like, Yeah. Look, it's a, I guess it's a, it's a fallback if people are tired. Mm. Um, if they're, you know, you've got that one focus to be there instead of you chasing the ball over on, so you go and chase the ball on the other side and all of a sudden you're a bit bit gassed and you think, well, you know, I'm not going to get back there, I'll just stay here. I think that's probably more the reason and and it's so much more structured now and, and sides will kind of see that and pull you apart. So if they pull you over one side and then you're over that other side, then they'll come back straight away. They'll have... Yeah, kind of plays two and three ahead, and they'll pull you back on one side. So I kind of get why they do that now. Um, maybe it does dull a little bit of the stuff, you know, the creativity out of it. But you know, there's still there's still plenty of places to create. Dan, how much work did you guys do on defence? Because that year, I think Spud was calling it the wall or something, and you guys averaged leaked less than ten points a game over an entire season, which is pretty, pretty incredible, even in the semi-final against the Sharks. You beat them yeah. 4 nil. Yeah, much- there, there was a lot, a lot of defensive work. Uh, and what they used to do is they would just pull us out of the defensive line. So we'd have, you know, we'd have seven on five or we'd have two ball touch on seven on five. So you were always scrambling to get to that, to that position. So you learned how to cover the inside quite well and, and I, I think that's still the better way to defend. Um, I think if this wedging stuff is, is kind of, you know, a smart guy will just chip over the top or throw a long cutout and, and you've got wingers and centres just wedging. And I can understand why they want to try and get in and cut the ball off, but yeah. you, you're starting to see these guys that are getting better and better at throwing these long balls and, and you know, that, that tries are coming. If, if you go up and kind of squeeze out and you're pushing out, Yes, on the line it's a little bit different and maybe you have to get off the line a little bit earlier, but I, I found that personally a very good way to defend. But you had to be fit. You, know, you, had, to be, you had to really work hard on the inside. And, and Bozo was really big on that. You know, he'd stand behind and, and you know, he'd be screaming at you if you're not pulling up. And, and the instructions, you know, Matthew Ridge was the fullback for a bit of that time any fullback that kind of came through, they were screaming at us the whole time, you know, back up, inside, inside, inside. So, you know, even if this guy steps back on you, there's got to be somebody on the inside to cover it. Yeah. How much did you guys lose when you lost Matthew Ridge? Uh, I think a little bit, like, you know, fabulous goal kicker. Yeah. Very much a, a noise behind, very good organiser. Um, you know, different, different style of play. Uh you know, he could score a try, but he's, he's not the guy that's going to beat five people and, and mm. push off two and um, and score that way. But, you know, in terms of an organising fullback, you know, very good. So, yeah, probably missed him a little bit there. Yeah. I mean, Shannon Nevin stepped into the role for a bit and he he, he was actually fairly similar to, to Matthew Ridge, actually. Not good talker, good, good, um, good kicker. Um, maybe just a little bit less aggressive in his talk. Yeah, um, but different from what you know, uh, Brett Stewart or Tom Trebojevic or you know Tedesco or yeah. something like that. You know, where these guys are just kind of superstars of their own right. You know, give them half an inch and they're gone. Dan, what was it like? You know, for you big fellas, when you see a small guy like Jeff Tuvey taking on everyone. 
Uh, Tooth just didn't shirk anything. You know, he, he's he act, his tackle technique was fantastic, and in those early days when people were kind of just trying to run and beat the player and and you know, potentially give an offload, he was very very effective. They kind of worked him out a little bit towards the end of his career, and they started bumping with with knees and elbows, and you know, you got this guy that's doing all this good technique, and, and unfortunately, he starts to hit elbows and and knees, and I think it, it probably knocked him around a little bit. But you know, in terms of a leader on the field, I don't think you actually get any better. You know, he's just he's very competitive, very driven. You know, and it takes a lot to kind of knock him down. You know, he's he's had some you know pretty nasty injuries. He had the ACL tear, and you know, he he was just competitive. Yeah. You know, obviously his actions spoke for a lot. What was he like kind of behind the scenes in the sheds? Um, talked, talked a little bit, not not massively loud. I mean, we had some personalities in that side with Spud <laughs> Terry. Not, Spud Terry and, and Reggie, not too many other people get word in. <laughs> you know, between those three going. Um but you know, pretty pretty nice guy, just normal guy. Um, you know, have a, have a few drinks, he's a bit more talkative. You know, but, but pretty, yeah, pretty normal. What about Not, Cliffy? Uh, well, Cliff just didn't talk much. You know, he he was pretty quiet. Um, Cliff Cliff is just a special player. You know, he he he's just it, it's almost like if you you're you're looking at you know, something with uh, maybe your goggles on or, or your blinkers like that. He, he can see peripheral. He can see everybody. And he can. He just had this almost way of, of being able to see the guy you know, 90 degrees to his left that I would mm. see in front of me, you know, and he would see this guy not coming across and then he'd just start to drift across and then drop you underneath. And, of course, that guy's a bit, bit behind and, and through you go. And that's, you know, Anybody who played with Cliff would tell you that. Beaver's the obvious recipient, but we all, you know, we all benefit from Cliff's, you know, ability to do to do that. Yeah, was it hard to read him, or did you guys just make it really simple for yourselves and just hit holes? Well, you got used to it. Um, you got used to him drifting across. You got used to him, you know, the very late ball from not being able to see it, and all of a sudden it's in your lap. So you just got used to be a to be ready. Um, you know, a couple of times he'd get you get you with a double pump, and you'd switch off, and then the ball's in your in your lap, and you're not ready for it. Yeah. Um, but I think if if you kind of read what he was trying to do too, you can you can kind of think, well, you know, he's bringing this guy across. There's no point in me staying outside him anymore, and I'll I'll duck under, and if it's on, he'll give it to me. If he doesn't, he'll go out. Okay. Um, Beaver told me a story about you guys shaving off his moustache at a Mad Monday. Is that true? Uh, yes, I think it, I think there was two. There was our physio Jeff Pross that shaved off, and, <laughs> and and Cliff Cliff got his shaved off as well. Um, and I think his kids were a bit upset. I, I think it was Pross's kids that were um, more upset. Um, but he, he looked very different. Cliff looked very different. It was, <laughs> it was, it was very funny. Dan, what was it like to? Actually, before we get to the, the grand final, I'll tell you a story, mate. 96, I remember, because it was around my birthday time. So, Dad bought me halfway tickets for that prelim. I go for the Sharks. Yeah. So, the prelim, mate, I was pumped. I thought this was our year. We are going to make it. And then you and you and Beave just turned it on that day, and Kosef as well. And, mate, I was, I was, in, I was crying, mate. Like, <laughs> you guys smashed us. And we really thought we had a chance that day. But you guys were just a class above. And even in the grand final, St. George were good. But I think across the field, you know, you guys had like something like 13 or 14 internationals at the end of the day. I think player for player, you were easily the best team in the comp. What was kind of grand final day compared 95 to 96? How much different was it for you guys? I was was still pretty much a fringe player in 95. So I didn't feel the pressure of it so much. Mm. I probably didn't feel the expectation of it either um, because, you know, I was not getting 60, 70 minutes or anything like that. And, I, you know, I, I knew I could kind of hold up my end easily for 25 or 30 minutes if that was 
what was required. But in 96, I was much more, you know, a starting member of the team and, and probably a little bit more pressure um, and expectation given the year that we'd had. I think we only dropped three games maybe. It might have been four games that year. I can't remember completely. But, um, yeah. you know, and you look at the size that we lost to that year, um, we lost to Perth in Perth. And I think they were coming either last or second last. We lost yep. to Penrith, who were coming third last. And we lost to Cronulla at, at yeah. Caltech. Monday night, wasn't it? I think it was. I'm not sure. It was definitely a night game. Yeah. Um, and I think they beat us 10-8 or 12-10 or something or 12-8. Um, but other than that, we had this kind of confidence, I guess. Um, and that confidence probably added a lot to that. Um, we didn't have many injuries. Uh, I think we were we were pretty good. I can't remember if anyone was actually missing from that game. Um, but I, I think we were a little bit more sure of ourselves maybe. Um, 95, you know, we had a good year obviously. Um, but maybe that experience was lacking, you know, not playing in, in it before. Maybe there was this air of, of a bit more confidence, I guess. Um, for me personally, I, I did feel a whole lot more nervous on on that St George the '96 than I did in the in the '95. Okay. Um, but that nerve, kind of, it was a it was a weird game. I think it was actually um, that the ground was a little bit heavy, mm. um, and it was it was a little bit humid, so it was a bit of stuff coming out of the ground, and it was really fatiguing that first forty minutes, and then. Kind of the second half, I got a second wind, and then I think I played eighty minutes that game. Um, but I, I, towards the end of it, I actually started to improve. You know, kind of burst through all these fatigue levels, and then started to improve a bit. But um, yeah, definitely more nervous. Okay. Does the '96 team catch up quite regularly? Uh, look, there's still a few people that are local. Um, we see, but. They have a, a few things at Manly, but there's a lot of guys from, you know, out of area in that team that, that don't necessarily get together that often. Mm. Um, Does Des know, bring any of you kind of old boys into training and that sort of thing? Uh, no. Uh, I think not to training. I think, you know, I, I think he... No, actually, I don't, I don't know that he brings too many of the old guys in. Um, you know, if... if would you do it if he asked you? Yeah, if he, if he asked, sure. But you know, these these guys are kind of grown men now, and yeah, you know, I don't, I don't think they need to be lectured from us at all. I think as a presence, if we were there, then it might provide something. And those that day that we have those golden eagle days are quite good. Yeah. What about um, just kind of learning about the jersey, the culture, that sort of thing? Yeah, I just think you know, seeing the fact that there are that many people that have played and, and they're all there and it kind of just makes you a little bit a little bit nostalgic and, um, you know, I think it's a good atmosphere but these guys are not going to learn anything from us. Yeah. Oh, it's a different game too. Yeah, and, and Des, Des, you know, he, he's smart enough to know virtually everything that goes on anyway so he's not, you know, I, I don't think he's going to rely on us to tell someone you know, that, that he's coaching uh, how to do things. Yeah. Did you guys always have an inkling that he would be like a top-level coach one day? Uh, no, not necessarily. Um, yeah. Yeah, he, was, he was just very, very fit, you know, and the stories you, you know, probably people tell you, but, you know, he would run his own fitness regime outside of the other stuff that we were already doing yeah. and, and some of these things. And, and – and I used to do a couple of them with him and, you know, we'd have this one-minute ergometer and then you'd run a 400 and then you'd come and do a one-minute ergometer and and it'd take you five minutes to get your breath and then, you know, then your turn comes around again and it's just fatigue. It does just become, come on, come on, come on. <laughs> um, just, just super fit, you know. Uh, and, again, one of those heads, those older heads that drives that culture of, hey, this is what these guys are doing. You better do the same bloody thing. Yeah, for sure. Now, Dan, did you have a, did you have a good ARL Super League contract story? Uh, no, not really. Um, 
they leave I, you out, mate. <laughs> I well, I, I snapped my P, my MCL, um, and so I I was eight weeks in a brace, and then I think I was another probably another three or four coming back when it all happened. I was kind of on the out of there. Um, I had I didn't have a manager at the time, okay, and and I was thinking, you know what, these guys are going to give me some money. I had no idea what these other guys were getting. When I looked back, I thought, well, you know, maybe you should have done something. But, you know, as far as I was considered, it was money for nothing. Yep. Um, I was going to stay with the ARL. Um, well, what I, made you side with the ARL? Was that a club thing? I just wanted to play at Manly. You know, I grew up in the area. Um, you know, I, I didn't necessarily want to be travelling anywhere else. And I just wanted to play for Manly. And that was that was it. So for me... You know, was I going to battle against something and, and go somewhere else? And, you know, I don't think it was all about money. I think money was part of it. Um, but, it, you know, it was one of those things where I was happy where I was. Um, and, and, yes, I probably could have got, you know, a whole lot more and, and, and done something somewhere else. But who knows? I don't look back on it as, as, as being yes or no kind of story. I, they, they gave me a figure and they said, think it over. And I thought it over for a week or two and then um, said, yeah, I'll sign. Yeah. Did you see any other boys turn up in ridiculous cars or have massive boats turn up on their, no, their driveways? No, I didn't see I didn't see any of that. I'm sure it kind of went on. Yeah. Uh, you know, the stories I've heard. After the situation, I know some of the guys for us you know, got pretty good deals. <laughs> um, maybe not as good as some of the other deals that were out there being you know, touted, but um, you know, I think a lot of people did well out of it. Um, I did okay. You know, I, I, well, I was, you know, I grew up always thinking that I, footy would never just be it for me. I, I always had something else planned. I mm. knew I wasn't going to retire with football, so. No, I wasn't probably that person that was hanging everything on football. You know, I had other interests outside, outside it as well, and, and that kind of took a bit of that focus away from all that stuff. Yeah, I think that's kind of you know where your value could lie if Manly ever do get you involved in any other sort of capacity. Is just that what you just described there? Because I think a lot of professional players now, I'd say you know a good eighty percent of them don't have anything to do but footy, and is coming to the to the front now, especially where they're in isolation now and a lot of them are, are panicking about what might happen in the future. Like, is that something else that might interest you in terms of like, because you've been there before and not had to rely just on footy, just helping people just think about, you know, ideas outside and interests outside of footy? Yeah, look, I, I know that they've got people to do that. Um, they've got welfare officers and they've got the systems in place now where they have to actually be involved in either learning or... Um, employed work, uh, and that that starts at the twenties. Um, I, I think uh, the system needs to take that a bit more seriously, because you know guys are turning up and they're doing gym courses and they're doing this and this and, and, and yeah. nothing that necessarily will will keep them employed for the next thirty or forty years. Mm. I think the league needs needs to say, hey, how many of these people have gone through and are now doing stuff? That is, you know, meaningful, or or that can be, you know, classified as a second career or a career after, not just kind of filling in those years after. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, and maybe they need to reduce the training hours to go along with this, and they say, hey, we get unis involved, and you know, these these unis say, okay, we'll, we'll make a special day for you guys, you know, or we'll, we'll keep this, or we'll get some online stuff going. And, and you have proper exams, and you don't pass. You know, you don't pass your exam, and you don't train this week. You don't play. But I mean, that's a bit more like the American college system, I guess. But yeah, I think you know, footy still has a lot of lot of pluses going for it. You, know, you can set yourself up. You can get your house deposit. You can, yeah, you know, you can do all that kind of things. And I think that's what they've got to market this towards. And they've got to say, hey, you know, you you you're going to end up as part of our our team here and we're going to look after you. And I know the All Blacks do superannuation and I heard something the other day that you know, there is a superannuation fund now yep. that's being, you know, loaded and none of that was there when, when we were there. So, it, look, it is getting better. 
but I think they need to have clubs and coaches on board and saying, hey, yeah, we've we've got a semi-final this week, but hey, we're not going to cut off all your work because this is more important. This thing's just, you know, token. Yeah, fair call. Now, Dan, we'll wrap up last topic because I wanted to pick your brain on your move to the English Super League. How did you, because it was an excellent end to the, to your career because two premierships, Challenge Cup win. But who actually came up with the idea for you to, to move over to England? Um, well, my my ex-wife, actually, she yeah. wanted to go. She she said, um, you know, I think it's a perfect opportunity. I want to go to England um, to work over there for a little bit of time. Um, I was I was going to go back and do accounting and go back to work. Okay. Um, and then we talked about it and we said, okay, well, you know, we'll give it a go. We'll... So we got, I got a manager for the first time. Um, <laughs> Who was you know, that? It was Wayne Beavis. And okay. Wayne's not a bad guy. But, yep. um, you know, he's a manager and Wayne's, Wayne's in it for Wayne too. So, yep. um, uh, so he, he got me a, a spot at Bradford and actually Matt Elliott was the coach yeah. at the time and he rang me in. And he said, um, you know, if you're coming over, this is not a, this is not a, uh, you know, a holiday. And I said, well, you know, I, I don't do holidays. You know, if I'm coming over, I'm not going to embarrass myself. I'm not going to embarrass anyone else. Yeah. And, and he goes, all right, great. You know, and so he came over. He said, we'll see you when we get here. So anyway, the thing is signed. I think that was the Olympic year. Yeah. So our comp finished maybe in August. Um, or the start of September. Yeah, it was early, yeah. Um, so we had, you know, two months off and I ended up going over to England in November. Okay. So I had I had three months and we actually we missed the semi. So, you know, I had three and a half months. So I had to just train. So I bought myself a bike, bought myself a road bike and just rode and rode and rode. I didn't have a car um, and, I, and I stayed fit enough and I got over there and I still wasn't quite fit enough when I got there, but I was relatively fit um but i got a phone call from brian noble who was the um, assistant to matt elliott okay and he said matt elliott's accepted a role i think either with canberra or st george i'm not sure i think it was canberra canberra yeah yeah i think he said accepted and, and so you know i've signed with one guy but no co- you know the coach has changed um but then i also found out that joe vanganar had signed with them so he'd been at the um at the Warriors, and I yeah. played against him, and I said, "Oh, that's unreal!" You know, you'd rather him there, your team as well than the other team. <laughs> yeah, awesome. and so you know, we had a really good side. We had a good mix of, of Aussies and Kiwis and, yeah. and English guys. Over we had there. the Paul brothers too, right? Yeah, Henry, Henry, and Robbie, and they they were great. You know, Henry is just immense talent. Rob, Robbie was probably maybe not as talented as Henry, but mm. worked just as hard. Worked harder. But that's what Henry yeah. says. When I interviewed Henry, that's what he said. It, like, he's naturally talented, but off the field, Robbie's the one that put yeah. he put the blood and guts in, that's for sure. And that's that's true. You know, that's he, he worked harder to do that. But, you know, Henry Henry was just an enormous talent. He ended up you know, going to English Rugby Union, um, but he, he could have easily played in the NRL I think, without too many dramas. But Yeah. Given the success at, at Bradford, very similar to what it was at Manly, was there heaps of similarities between the cultures of the two teams? Uh, we, we had a Brian McDermott who was the, yeah, the hard, you know, hard guy who trained hard and didn't put up with any crap. Yep. Um, so we had a really good, you know, he was, he was a leader. We had Paul Anderson who was very similar. Um, Henry and Robbie was probably the more driven mm. uh, and the more focused, I guess. Um, but then we had a guy called Scott Naylor, who was an old, older guy as well, and and you know very focused and you know, didn't want to lose. So it was that very similar culture at Bradford as there was at Manly. Yeah, Dan, what's uh, it like? Because I know that Wembley was shut at the time, but you got to play at Millennium Stadium and then also Twickenham Stadium, things like that. What are those venues like? Uh, Twickenham's a bit bit different. Um, it was it was a little bit more open, and I think they've revamped it since. But you know, big stands, big big crowd, loud. Mm. Uh, Millennium Stadium, they actually shut the roof, which I didn't necessarily like. I, okay, it felt 
different. It was a day game, and I think it was a, it was a bit of a gimmick. It was going to be one of the first league games played under under the roof. Mm. And so, you know, as soon as any hint of rain, they said, oh, we're shutting the roof. And everyone's going, you know, it's going to be humid and sticky. And um, But it was all right. It was very loud. It was very loud. They had 72,000 people there. It was it was loud. But Old Trafford is the best place to play. Yeah. Old, Old Trafford is just incredible. That's 72,000 people and they're right on top of you. Is there a difference between the Grand Final and the Challenge Cup Final? Uh, the, the Challenge Cup... Yeah, I, Talent Cup's a, it's a strange one. You, you feel, you know, you have a games intermixed amongst the normal league rounds mm. and you kind of, you get through them, but it's a knockout. So you kind of have one, you know, then you might get a week, week or a two-week break and then you might have a three-week break and you play that game. And so you kind of a little bit in the mix and then you get to the semi and then obviously the semi and the final is... is Huge. The final is still... God, you'd be playing some games. Yeah, you do. You play, I think you play about 33 games a year, 34 wow. games a year if you make everything, or maybe 35. Um, and they can play you, in these days, mate. Jesus. But you can, you kind of can because it's cooler. Yeah. You know, you've got the winter, you're not, you're not burning yourself out in the summer. And, um, and the grounds are a little bit softer through the times of the year, except when they're frozen. Okay. Um, oh, yeah, we played on a couple of frozen grounds. It was pretty nice. Uh, it was almost a gentleman's agreement. The frozen area of the ground, you don't, you know, slap <laughs> anyone on, on this. Because <laughs> there, there was a game at Halifax, and, and that's way down in the valley and in the yeah. middle of the. So we played that in, the, in January. It was a Challenge Cup game. And the sun doesn't come up high enough over one of the stands, so the whole 20 metres back is frozen. <laughs> it's, it's frozen for three months or two wow. months. So, and then the rest of it is actually okay because the sun's hit it and just thawed it out a bit. And at that stage, it didn't have underground heating. And so you, you played, but you, know, you could feel the difference in the texture as you get over the 20. And studs start to lose grip and you start to feel it's like you're running a little bit on concrete. But then there was just, just this agreement you know, that we just didn't hammer each other. So it was pretty civilised. <laughs> well, Dan, I know you've got to get back to running your patients there, mate. So I'll, last question. It's just my dinner party question. Yep. You've got five invites to a private dinner party. Now, only rules, no family or friends, but you can invite anyone dead or alive. Who would Dan Gartner like to invite to dinner? Uh, I'd probably... I don't know, John F. Kennedy. Yep. He'd be one. Um, Larry Bird. Are oh, you a big Celtics fan? Uh, just a basketball fan. Okay. Did you watch the Michael Jordan thing on Monday? Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Uh, the the, the Bird, Bird and Magic one's great. I don't know if you've seen yeah, that. Yeah, I've seen that one as well, the 30 for 30. Is that the one you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, that's, that's terrific. Um, Did you ever uh, get to see him live? No. No. Um, who else? Uh, I don't know. It's kind of it's a hard question. Uh, probably a couple of rock stars. Uh, I think uh, Mick Jagger would be a pretty good one to yeah for sure to, to find out. I think he would have probably lived a pretty wild life. Um, <laughs> no doubt. Um, who else? Um, I think Martin Luther King would have been a good one. Yeah, fantastic one. Um, and probably Muhammad Ali. Yeah, perfect. He's on my walls everywhere, mate. He's uh, he's definitely my hero as well. Yeah, good personalities. For sure. Well, Dan, I really appreciate you joining me on the podcast, man. I really appreciate all the open and honest stories about the past, mate. I loved it, mate. So thank you for coming on the potty. That's all right. Thanks very much. And that, guys, was Daniel Gartner. I really hope you did enjoy that. It's good to relive some of the memories from the manly old days. I know there's plenty of manly supporters that listen to the podcast. So I really hope you guys enjoyed that. If you did, please tell your family and friends that the potty is out now. So you can also tag me on any post. Twitter or Facebook, I'm at Talking with TK. Tristan Nell, K N E L L. 
across my Instagram. If you want to get in touch, send me an old school email, Tristan at talkingwithtk.com. Taking guest requests, or if you just want to have a yarn about the footy or anything in general, definitely get in touch. I'd love to hear from where you're listening to the show. All right, guys, next week on the show, we're up to what, episode 175. We've got one of the really, you know, elite coaches in the AFL. We've got Paul Roos joining us on the, the potty. So me and, uh, me and Roos have been planning this for a little while. So it was a great chat. And if you're into your kind of coaching, your behind-the-scenes stuff, how he kind of created that culture out down at the Swannies and a little bit about his playing career, episode for you. And it's going to be a great episode. It will be in, what, five days. So I released this one on Saturday. So it'll be Wednesday. Wednesday released there. So look out for that one, episode 175 with Paul Ruse. My book, Talking With Champions, that's out now. 75 of my best interviews, including the likes of Jonathan Thurston, George Foreman, Layla Ali, Diamond Dallas Page, across all the different Australian and in New Zealand superstars that I've had on Talking With TK. So check it out now. Dimmick's Booktopia, Angus and Robinson. It retails at about $29.95, but there is a few specials at the moment at Booktopia and Angus and Robinson. I think at about 22 bucks. So if you want a copy be great to support the cause and I really do appreciate anyone that has already bought a copy and yeah, my hat's out to you guys. Alright guys, hope you're all staying safe. Looking forward to Roozy on Wednesday. I'm Tristan Cannell and this was Talking With TK.